0: learning a little bit more about what's happening in the world to our food system in the way of corruption. I don't subscribe necessarily to studying all of what the enemy is up to, but in this particular case, it has an impact on us that's pretty direct and uh, can have some pretty significant consequences. So what uh, I intend to cover this morning, for those of you that still want to make a class choice. Uh, I'm not going to go in-depth into, in, into the background of GMOs, we're going to talk about what's going on today, what's actually happening today and some of the risks that we're faced with today. Uh, so this is kind of uh, what's going on with GMOs uh, part two, if you will. I think Larry Lesher did a program uh, a, a few years ago that would be available on Audioverse for uh, those of you that are new to this topic. How many of you are new to this topic that don't understand? What's going on with GMO? OK. Uh, we'll, we'll cover a few of the basics, but uh, primarily I'm not going to elaborate on all of the potential health risks and all of the, the, uh, the other things associated with GMOs. I'm just going to tell you what's, what's, what's out there, what you need to be aware of, that is information that uh, some people uh, have a hard time finding. Uh, One of the challenges in in dealing with uh, this issue of GMOs is we have very little accurate information available to us. What is available uh, is often filtered by the very companies that are producing these products. Uh, And frankly, much of the information that uh, uh, we would like to have is held as confidential business information. They don't share it. They don't have to share it, and in part, with some of the new uh, aspects of what's going on with GMOs. Uh, we, uh, frankly, aren't going to find out about it because there is an aspect of this that really is, is, is quite totally unregulated. So before we begin, I'd like to offer a word of prayer and uh, we'll get started. Father in heaven, again, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to, to share about this important topic that uh, not only has impact for our potential health and our well-being, but also has potential impact on us spiritually. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll open our eyes and our ears to hear and uh, that your Holy Spirit will guide us here so that the words that I say can be useful uh, to your purpose and so that the hearers here can glean the truth that you would have them understand. Abide with us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Uh, a GMO, obviously, is a genetically modified organism, and GMOs are very prevalent in the food supply today. Uh, You'll see me doing this. What I'm trying to do is advance a slide here, and I'm having mixed success with doing that. But would you advance it, please? I'm sorry, I have a, a gizmo with an inaccurate or with an inadequate range to to do what I need to do here. Uh, This uh, slide I just found kind of amusing. This is a piece of artwork where a guy is seeding a field. And to me, this is a good representation of my perspective on GMOs. It's uh, uh, It's really a very haphazard method of modifying plants that is used to, uh, to make GMOs. And next slide, please. And uh, there are some aspects of this science that if you want to look into it more deeply are very, very disturbing in the sense that we're really uh, tinkering and toying with things that we very, very poorly understand. In fact, the whole science of genetically modifying foods uh, is, 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 is based on some very simple principles about some very complex science that we don't really understand well. And the reality is that in traditional hybridizing of a plant, if I have a corn variety, um, you know, I'm, I've, I've got some red corn, for example, red corn seen in the back that, that, that I'm marketing here this, this week, and I have another corn variety that has maybe some more vigor or some disease-resistant characteristics, and I, I, I cross-pollinate those and traditionally hybridize those to try to develop maybe a disease-resistant red variety to combine those characteristics. In uh, traditional plant-beating, about one in, in 15,000 attempts at doing that gives you the desired result, gives you the marketable desired result. And uh, genetic modification of our crops, where they're introducing foreign genes into an entirely different species, the success rate is about 1 in 20,000. So, you know, if we're relying on the concept of guys in the laboratory snapping genes together like Legos and engineering something, it's really a flawed concept even in our own minds because uh, only 1 in 20,000 of their attempts is successful. Now, I'm certainly not gonna hire an engineer to build a bridge for me that only succeeds uh, one out of 20,000 times, but yet our, uh, much of our, our, our food system today, particularly our processed foods, is predicated on this principle. And one of the other things that we don't understand are some of the more subtle aspects of heredity, some of the more subtle aspects of genetics that influence the outcome and I'll describe some of that uh, um, later on in this, in this talk. But I want to dispel some myths, you know. A lot of people are just totally terrified that everything they touch and eat in the supermarket today is genetically modified, and that's not the case. What I have up here on the, on the screen is the list of the foods that have been approved in the United States for our consumption. And again, I'll mention too that this entire presentation will be available as a download note from the from the, uh, Ad Agro website when we, when we uh, uh, finish here today, so don't feel that you need to jot all of this down. It'll be available to you if you choose to download it. Now, apart from all of the environmental issues, apart from all of the economic issues, apart from all the social justice issues, apart from all the other issues, Uh, That have come up about the negative aspects of genetically modifying food I want to point out one really simple one that should impact everyone in this room and that is that there is a biblical principle to avoid GMOs and we can find that biblical principle right on the first page of a Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12 the Lord gives us the blueprint for how plants reproduce Genetically modifying food does not fit that blueprint. Enough said. End of argument, as far as I'm concerned. Now others don't feel that way. I actually had the opportunity uh, about seven years ago to approach the general conference with some information about this, hoping, hoping that uh, at least the North American Division would establish a, a, a you know, a, a, a policy on. How we educate our people about GMOs. I even had the opportunity to spend some time with Jeffrey Smith, who went with me uh, to that meeting to be able to provide them with information. And I was very disappointed that the general conference basically said, Well, you know, who are you and uh, what do you know? And the USDA says it's safe. And that was what we encountered. Unfortunately, uh, we still don't have a, a, a good policy on GMO as a as, as, a, uh, as a denomination. But simply the fact that it violates a biblical principle is enough reason for me to want to avoid it. If that's not the way God laid it out for us, let's not do it. And I'm very convicted on that principle because I know that when we violate God's plans or God's laws in the case of creation, that there are going to be consequences for that. And the reality is that over the last 20 years or so, since GMOs have first uh, come onto the market, there have been lots and lots and lots of unintended consequences, both for the producers of the GMOs and for the consuming public. We're the only country in the world that has embraced this technology so ignorantly. And 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 and. In spite of of all of the access to information that we have in our society, a free press, a technological country, uh, lots of of news media, uh, we are really blinded, in fact, the information about GMOs and some of the consequences of GMOs have actually been obscured. It's not just that the information is, is, is not readily available, it's actually been obscured and, and, and in some instances kind of hard to find. And that to me is really troubling. These are the crops that are currently, uh, have approval status for GMOs and I wanna just take a minute to mention here that um, a lot of these crops are used extensively in processed foods. So one of the first steps that we can take to avoid exposure to GMOs is what? Avoid processed foods. This leads us back to a statement that Ellen White made about how best to eat. And that basically is simple food simply prepared, right? Okay, if we're growing it in our gardens and we're utilizing fresh ingredients, our exposure to these things or our potential exposure is gonna be dramatically reduced. But if we're eating at restaurants, if we're shopping as most people do in the package section of the grocery store rather than the fresh section of the grocery store, there's no question that we're going to have high levels of exposure to these things. And do we see consequences of these high levels of exposure? As I said, we've been eating these things for 20 years now. Well, what are the health consequences from this? Frankly, if you ate a GMO and immediately had a reaction and died, and enough people did that, there'd be a way to reason from cause to effect. If the health effects are subtle over time, there's no way to connect those dots. But what I can tell you is that if we observe what's been going on within the health of society in America over the last couple of decades, we see a pretty profound decline in health a significantly profound decline in health, and also the complexity of issues that the medical profession is faced with today have become far more difficult to diagnose. Many, many subtle effects on the endocrine systems, on the, on, on, on the on, you know, on all of the systems of the body that regulate our physiology are, are under attack with this and it's something that I seek to avoid and I hope that you do too. Now the United States is not the only country that's engaged in producing these, slide please. We have international approvals on GMOs too because we're not the only country that's doing this. There are 39 other countries with current active programs for developing GM crops, trees, insects and animals. And to think that we have the corner on the market here is a a, a wrong assumption. But uh, other uh, crops that have approvals, international approvals, are sweet peppers, eggplant, pineapple, sugarcane, carnations, creeping bent grass, petunias, roses, poplars, and eucalyptus. Now, one of the challenges that we have in knowing what we're eating is that since here in the United States, we have no labeling laws on GMOs, when we import a GMO, there is no indication on that import whether it's genetically modified or not. We simply don't know. It's considered generally regarded as safe by the USDA and by the FDA, so we have no information about what's coming in over our borders as to whether it's genetically modified or not. Once it leaves the farm, the only one that knows whether it's a GMO or not is the one that produced it. And once it enters the marketing chain, we, we, we have no way of distinguishing whether it is or not. So that leads me to understand that we've got to be careful about these other aspects of our diet, too. And even though they have not received their approval within the United States, they're, they're tacitly approved by the United States because we have no labeling. And next slide, please. <clears throat> uh, this is a worldwide uh, list of the things that have been approved up until 2016. And as of 2016, there were 404 different genetically modified things, and I won't say just crops because, as you can see in the example here, 148 of those things are corn varieties. So it's not just uh, you know it's not just that there are 404 different uh, crops out there that have been genetically modified. We have many instances of, of an individual crop having a number of variations but there are 404 things out there that are potentially threatening to us today, and not all of these, as I said, are produced in the United States. I know you can't see this slide real clearly, but it will show up if you uh, download uh, uh, the presentation. Next slide, please. Not all of them are grown here in the U.S. either. In fact, the acreage for genetically modified crops is really burgeoning around the world. Resistance to GMOs has grown here a little bit in the U.S., but it's been actually more prevalent in, in uh, uh, the other developed countries around the world, and, and uh, even undeveloped and underdeveloped countries now are engaged in producing lots of GMOs. Next slide, please. I think this will show up a little more clearly in the next slide. This map is an indication of countries now that are actively growing GMOs. There are more countries than this that are investing and doing uh, uh, research with GMOs, but these are where the bulk of them are grown in the world today. And by far the most are grown here in the U.S., but Brazil is a a pretty close second. And um, Argentina is growing a lot, Canada, India, South Africa, Australia, China has recently uh, released a number of varieties of GMOs including rice and apples and this is something to concern ourselves with because frankly more than half of the apples in the United States today are coming from China and uh, most of the garlic that is uh, coming to the United States today is coming from China and they are working with GM garlic too. I don't know that that has reached international approval yet, but it is right on the horizon. We have a lot of various different avenues for these things to be flooding into our marketplace and indeed they are. Next slide please. The other thing we have to worry about is when a GMO is not really a GMO. And one of the things that we have concerned ourselves with up to uh, fairly recently is what we consider transgenic GMOs, transgenic genetically modified organisms. And what I mean by transgenic is is, by—is when we take the gene from a uh, a, a, a given species and we insert that gene into something of a different species, such as the, the two primary crops that we grow here in the US that are dominantly GMOs are corn and soy. And in the case of the uh, both the corn and the soy, we've taken genes from viruses and bacteria and inserted those into these crops to make them either Roundup Ready or uh, BT productive producing uh, a, a protein from bacillus thuringiensis that makes them toxic to caterpillars so there we're actually taking a gene from an entirely different species whether it's a different plant species a different uh, life form essentially a bacteria or a virus or an, an, uh, a different type of organism entirely uh, uh, an animal and crossing that in a way that nature would never allow. That's a transgenic GMO and that up until this point is primarily what we've been dealing with. What's occurring now is that we're also using GMOs as parent plants to hybridize subsequent generations, to hybridize the next generation of crops. For example, if we took a Roundup Ready corn and we crossed it with a traditional corn, the offspring of that would still carry that Roundup Ready gene, but because of the way our regulatory system works, it's not considered a GMO. And this is and has been taking place, and one of my concerns is now, Also, instead of just transferring one characteristic transgenically to a different crop, they're transferring as many as eight different characteristics with another eight or 10 attendant genes to help those characteristics express themselves. So in some instances, we have corn varieties today that have 15 to 18 foreign genes in them. And the collateral damage of that in terms of what's going on with the uh, with the potential health effects from that I can't speak to I don't know uh, For those of you that are really interested in this and new to this topic. I recommend that you look up a, uh, a, a website called responsibletechnology dot org Responsibletechnology.org that's maintained by a man named Jeffrey Smith who's really on the cutting edge of all of the research in looking into GMOs and has done a tremendous job of educating the public on what's out there and what's available. Uh, Jeffrey is not a Christian, but I have known him to be very, very ethical in the information that he shares. And that's important to me, too, because one of the things that the enemy does when he's confounding us is he polarizes arguments. Most of us are familiar with Walter Veith and his Hegelian principle concept where we We have thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, and that's exactly what's going on with information about GMOs today too. We have a lot of anti-GMO websites out there that actually work essentially for the enemy because they're making such outrageous and outlandish claims about GMOs that they, they lose all credibility within the scientific community. One of those is natural news that a lot of us pay attention to, or a lot of folks pay attention to, and the Health Ranger. Some of the information that is being promoted there is actually counterproductive to what they ostensibly are trying to achieve because it is so erroneous, it is just so erroneous. But Jeffrey uh, has done a very good job of just distilling the facts and presenting the facts in a way that we can ascertain and understand. Now essentially what a transgenic GNO is—next slide—transgenic plants are basically plants that have had foreign genes inserted to them. One more time. And this whole process—did we get in advance? Okay, there we go. Uh, This whole process is predicated on a science that was developed back in the 1970s. And essentially there's an aspect to plants that uh, is is troubling to most people when they first learn about it, but it's totally natural in plants, and that's a process called cloning. You know, when we uh, uh, have a, a, a strawberry plant in our backyard and that strawberry plant sends out a runner, and that runner roots in the ground and becomes an entirely separate plant, that's an an example of natural cloning among plants. And one of the interesting characteristics of plants is that each individual cell within the plant has the capacity to replicate the entire plant. And back in the 1970s, out at UC Davis, they developed a process called tissue culture, where they would take a new variety of plant and, and, and use the cell itself to replicate an entire plant. This was, uh, this was economically an advantage to the horticulture industry primarily because they could bring new varieties to market much more quickly than by producing seed crops. The process of developing a new variety uh, and, and bringing it to market using seed crops where you, you, you develop, you hybridize that first initial plant and then you develop enough seed of that plant to make it marketable could take up to seven years. And with tissue culture, they were able to bring new varieties to market much more quickly, usually within a year or two. And that was really important to the horticulture industry because the horticulture industry and the fashion industry are very, very similar. You know, some years, some colors are more uh, popular than other years. And by being able to accelerate this process, they were able to, you know, to meet the, the, the tastes of the consuming public more quickly. And it's this principle of being able to... Um, to replicate a plant from a single cell that is used in, in genetically modifying plants. And in this case, we'll discuss a corn plant. And what they do is they—the they, the, the corn plant cell has a nucleus in it. Next slide, please. <clears throat> and the, the, the genes within that plant are, are corn genes, and if they want to insert a foreign gene into that—next slide, please—oops, I'm sorry, back up one. Maybe this isn't gonna work, I'm I'm just not looking at it. But anyway, the gaps that you see there in the the chromosome are where the foreign genes are inserted. And this is done at a cellular level, and then the crop is grown on through tissue culture to establish the new variety, to establish the new transgenic variety. That crop is then grown for seed, and then that seed is distributed, and we have, have the new crops being grown. Um, that's, the, that's what all of us up until fairly recently have considered to be a, you know, a GMO. But as I said, what's happening now is once this corn plant is transgenic and is used in a breeding program for subsequent varieties of corn, it's no longer considered by the government a GMO. It's not even looked at because once this, is a, once this step of the process is approved, the government just turns a blind eye to everything else because it's considered to be safe after it goes through this process. So what we have on the market today are a number of different offsprings of GMOs that are not labeled as GMOs. And that's a little bit problematic for us because we have no way to sort this stuff out. And one of the things that that concerns me is because of the tremendous consolidation that we've had in the seed industry that the... Uh, The knowledge of what these plants are is held in very few hands, too. So we're getting to a point where not only do we not have the information that we need to make choices to avoid GMOs, but that information is being increasingly obscured from us. Do you follow me? I see this as a serious problem and a potential hazard for us in the future. Now up until this point, as I said, when we looked at the... uh, uh, the list of things that are available to us. As home gardeners, there's only a few things that, that we've got to really concern ourselves with right now, and I'll, I'll let you know what those are. For the vast majority of plants that we're growing in our gardens today, we're not going to encounter these GMOs, at least as far as I know. And I'll give you some strategies for avoiding them in terms of, of the seeds and things. All right. Advance, please. All right, one of the, the, the most profound articles that I read when I was very disturbed about genetically modified foods was this one uh, that was printed in Discover Magazine in November of 2006. And I suggest this is still available online. I suggest you look this up and read it. It's called DNA Is Not Destiny. And it was an article written by Ethan Waters about an oncologist at Duke University named Randy Journal. And what Randy Jertle uh, discovered through work with uh, with agouti mice was that the genes alone are not the only thing that are responsible for conferring traits to the offspring. And he uh, applied this term epigenetics to that. Now some of you that have been studying this topic are familiar with this now, but the industry at large totally ignores this principle, and it's been established as a principle now. Denise Caruso also wrote wrote an article about this called A Challenge to Gene Theory at about the same time uh, that was printed in the New York Times trying to raise people's awareness for the fact that, hey, we're flying blind with this science. You know, we've got this, 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 this science that is you know, they're, they're touting the fact that these crops are engineered, but only one in 20,000 is successful, and there's all kinds of collateral damage taking place. There's an aspect to heredity that extends beyond the genes, and we know far more about that now with the understanding of epigenetics. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Now, as I said, one of the things that we've got a real problem with today is using a GMO parent to conventionally breed a new variety. Now these parents reach a point in the regulatory process where they're deregulated by the FDA and by the USDA, and at that point there is no further Uh, testing, there is no further evaluation of that crop as far as its safety. Uh, There is no further interest even on the part of the government. However, the one interesting thing is, and this is the one way that we can track whether something is GMO or not, is to follow the patent. Because the original plant that had the transgenic gene in it received a patent, and the offspring, the, the, the patent that that original plant get gets, uh, the offspring that inherit that gene, the patent follows the gene. They can't patent the plant itself, but they patent the gene. The The way the system works is that with a genetically modified organism, it's not the organism itself that gets the patent, it's the gene that's in the organism. So when that gene is is moved, even through heredity to another Plant, then the patent follows the gene. And there's an economic purpose for genetically modifying crops, and that is that there is, uh, uh, you know, according to the companies that are doing this, an added value to that crop because of the herbicide resistance that has been conferred or because of the insecticidal uh, characteristic of the plant that has been conferred. And they usually charge a patent fee for that. So one of the ways that we can identify whether a second or a third or a fourth generation crop is a GMO or not is to understand whether that patent exists on that. And if it does, generally it's a little pricier. There's a, there's a value-added aspect to that, and it costs a little bit more. That's about the only way we have to track these things, which is very unfortunate. But there is no regulation, no testing, no way to discern whether that's the case or not. Now, one of the the other things that is occurring today, next slide please, are crops that are produced through gene editing. And one of the methods that's used for doing this is called CRISPR, Clustered Regularly Interspaced Palindromic Repeats. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's what the acronym CRISPR stands for. And a CAS9 is a protein from a bacteria that is also used in this process. And I pulled this slide directly off of the FDA's page describing CRISPR, and I'll read it to you. I know it's hard for you to read. It says, what responsibilities do developers have if they want to bring to market a product derived from a plant developed using genome editing technologies? And the answer from the FDA is any company looking to market foods made with genome editing techniques is responsible for complying with all applicable laws and regulations. Do you know how many applicable laws and regulations there are? None. That makes it easy. For more than 20 years, developers have routinely consulted FDA about the safety and regulatory status of foods from new genetically engineered plant varieties prior to marketing. FDA intends to continue offering consultations for developers of new plant varieties, including those produced using genome editing, in order to help develop, I'm sorry, in order to help developers ensure that applicable safety and legal questions are resolved prior to marketing of food products derived from such new plant varieties. Question. Has the FDA completed any voluntary consultations for genome edited plant varieties intended for animal or human food? Answer, as of January 18, 2017, the FDA has not completed a voluntary food safety consultation on food derived from a plant produced using genome editing. What does all that language say? Basically says, we don't know what to do. And the reality is that our regulatory agencies, such as the FDA and the USDA, have so little knowledge of this technology and so little knowledge of what's being done that they're being asked or we're asking them as consumers to put themselves in a position of regulating it without them having any capacity to regulate it. So their solution and, of course, the, the, uh, the companies behind all of this are very encouraging in the fact that, you know, just do this until we have problems that develop, and then maybe the public will be aroused and something will happen. But right now, this is unregulated. And CRISPR is essentially a system... Next slide, please. And again, I'll read this to you, because I know some of you will have trouble reading it, but I want to describe what CRISPR is. CRISPR is basically a method of turning off sections of a plant's DNA and turning on other sections of a plant's DNA. It's a a method of editing the gene, but with genes of the same species or the same plant. They're not introducing a transgenic gene here. They're simply manipulating the genes that are already there to allow for a different expression of the plant. CRISPR is actually a naturally occurring ancient defense mechanism found in a wide range of bacteria. As far back as the 1980s, scientists observed a strange pattern in some bacterial genomes. One DNA sequence would be repeated over and over again with unique sequences in between the repeats. They called this odd configuration Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, or CRISPR. Scientists realized the unique sequences in between the repeats matched the DNA of viruses specifically viruses that prey on bacteria. It turns out CRISPR is one part of the bacteria's immune system which keeps bits of dangerous viruses around so it can recognize and defend against those viruses next time they attack. The second part of the defense mechanism is a set of enzymes called CAS, CRISPR-associated proteins, which can precisely snip DNA and slice out uh, invading viruses next slide, please. Slice out invading viruses conveniently, the genes that encode for CAS are always sitting somewhere near this the CRISPR sequences. Now this is kind of complicated language, I know, but I, 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 I don't have a really good graphic to kind of demonstrate this, so this is the one I came up with. <clears throat> so essentially, you you, 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 you. You've got a system of identifying these sequences that re- repeat within the DNA, and those sequences are also sequences that match some of the potential pathogens to that bacteria. And then they use the CAS protein to identify where those sequences are, and the CAS protein essentially snips it out. And that's where they can put in the other genetic information that they des- desired to insert into it. Now this other genetic information, as I said, is not transgenic, but it can enhance characteristics that the plant might already have or aspect or or deactivate or activate more intensely some other characteristic that the plant already has. As the CRISPR region fills with virus DNA, it becomes a molecular most wanted gallery representing the enemies the microbe has encountered. The microbe can then use this viral DNA to turn Cas enzymes into precision guided weapons. And that's essentially uh, what's going on here. Now that's a lot of, of kind of complex stuff. And as I said, you can read it later and you can do some more studying on your own if you'd like to. My mission today is just to make you aware that this is going on, and it's unregulated, and it's happening, and we're eating some of this stuff. Next slide, please. Unfortunately, this whole process has opened the floodgates for, I'm sorry, back up one, please. Okay. Some of the CRISPR-edited crops that we have today that are in commerce today, that you can buy today, are these things here. Simplot has developed a, a line of potatoes called the innate potato. This is being marketed into the fast food industry. Anybody eat French fries in the last couple weeks? You've been eating this. Uh, these potatoes were developed specifically for the French fry industry, and one of the characteristics, there are two characteristics in this innate potato. One is that it doesn't turn brown when it's cut, so the French fries look much fresher. The second is that it has resistance to late blight, or Phytophthora infestans, which is an advantage to the grower. These potatoes are on the market, they're out there today, this innate uh, trade name, if you will, is being applied to other potatoes too. You can buy pre-cut potatoes, for example, for school lunch programs that have this characteristic too because they don't turn brown and they're not, uh, you know, they're not uh, uh, unpleasant to, to, to look at. You'll find these showing up in other varieties of potatoes. Primarily it's the russet potato right now, but you'll find it showing up in other varieties of potatoes too pretty soon. And the other aspect of this, the late blight resistance is likely to be start, start will, will, will start showing up as seed potatoes for home gardeners to make use of too, because home gardeners don't like dealing with late blight, do you? So pay attention to, to, to that name there. Uh, as, as far as I know, there aren't any others uh, that are on the market that don't carry this innate uh, trade name but uh, there may be others showing up soon too, we don't know. Okanagan specialty fruits in Canada just developed a full line of what they are marketing as Arctic apples. These also have the characteristic of not turning brown when you cut them open. And guess where the market is for these things? most of our school lunch programs, because they use the cut fruit, and you, you'll, you will find these on the grocery shelves, I've seen them, uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of pre-packaging of food being done now, whether it's you know salad mixes or, or fruit trays, fruit dishes, and these sliced apples are widely available in the uh, market today, uh, but the primary, market is for our school lunch programs. Now, how many different varieties of these are there? Quite a number. Uh, They've got a Golden Delicious Arctic Apple. There's a Red Delicious Arctic Apple. There's a Gala Arctic Apple. There are a number of different varieties. Uh, But once again, because this is a value-added aspect to the fruit, fortunately, they're tagging their trade name onto it. Because, hey, you know, consumers don't want apples that turn brown, so we'll maybe charge a few more cents for this and, and, uh, and make some money by doing this. So we have to kind of follow the money to understand what's really going on here. Uh, Penn State has developed white mushrooms, again, non-browning white mushrooms. Uh, these are... Widely available, and since it was developed by Penn State, there's no particular name attached to this. I don't know who's growing these or where. All I know is that from now on, if I decide I want to buy a package of white button mushrooms, I'm going to make sure there's some brown on them somewhere. You know, that's, that's really the only clue that I have, because since it was a public university that developed this, they don't have a trade name for it but these are widely being produced too. And recently Del Monte Corporation has produced a pink pineapple. And these are going to be flooding the market here this spring pretty heavily. These are actually produced in Costa Rica, but this is a genetically uh, edited pineapple that produces higher levels of sugar and in it, the, the, the flesh is pink. So, You know, these things are out there, they are happening. Next slide, please. And because of this, the floodgates are really open for hundreds of new introductions. And right now is the window of opportunity for these companies using this CRISPR gene editing because there is no regulation. So if you've got a potentially controversial technology that you're trying to introduce when's the best time to try to push out as much as you can before somebody says hey wait a minute let's look at this right and that's what's going on we have a lot of our seed companies that are looking at this CRISPR technology uh, the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry too are using this technology uh, it, you, you can read about this and its applications in medicine, too. I'm just referring right now to its application in food. But the floodgates are really open right now for a whole new host of introductions that involve this gene editing technique and these gene editing qualities. Now one of the things that concerns me is there's a big lobbying effort right now, again, these. You know, our seed companies are basically consolidated into five, soon to be four, companies around the world. Monsanto, Bayer, Dow, DuPont, and Syngenta uh, uh, own most of the seed and the, and the satellite seed companies uh, on the planet today. They control about 90% of the world's seed. And Bayer and Monsanto, pro- Bayer is in the process of buying out, out Monsanto, so there will soon be one less of those big guys that controls virtually all of the seed in the world. And when we allow that much power to be concentrated in so few hands, we're going to be left in the very near future with very little choice about what we're buying. And right now, today, I can tell you that if you're buying uh, a, 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 a package of corn seed produced by Monsanto that says BT corn as a home grower, these things are available for purchase, it'll cost you a little bit more. I can say that's a GMO corn. There's another uh, a line of corn that is sold by Syngenta for home gardeners, but it carries a trade name too called attribute. And I know that those things are genetically modified. I know to avoid those. But in the case of CRISPR, in the case of those downstream genetically modified varieties that don't have a trade name attached to them, perhaps. I don't know what's what anymore. So my suggestion to you as a consequence of all this is to be very careful and to educate yourself on this topic before you start just randomly buying seeds based on—I'll on, take questions at the end, thank you—before uh, you just start, you know, buying seed from any or every seed supplier. <clears throat> Lobbying efforts are, being, are, are taking place right now to allow this CRISPR technology to be qualified for organic certification. Those discussions are happening right now as to whether CRISPR varieties can be qualified for organic certification. I won't be surprised if it's approved. I won't be surprised if it's approved. The Unfortunately, the, the, the regulatory Uh, aspect to the organic label uh, has been diluted tremendously in the last few years and I I won't say it is going to happen but I won't be surprised if it does happen either this year or next Uh, one last thing I'll mention here this is such new technology we don't have a lot of information about it as far as its potential hazards but some independent research has indicated that there's a high potential for collateral unintended mutations in plants that have been treated with CRISPR, meaning that they they not only edit the gene that they're targeting, but other edits are taking place, too, and other characteristics, uh, perhaps very subtle characteristics, are being influenced by this process that may have an impact on human health or nutrition, and those things we just don't know. I'd want to make you aware that this is happening, though. I think this is going to be a more difficult uh, battle for us to 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 kind of cope with than the initial GMO battle was, in the sense of, of 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 the lack of information that's available, the lack of regulation that's involved, and because all of this technology is essentially confidential business information. So one of our solutions to this dilemma is to Rely on tried and trusted, true varieties of seed. Uh, Your seedsman is going to become an important aspect of your farm safety in terms of you. You're going to need to use seed companies that have the resources to understand this technology and to try to eliminate some of it. Uh, there are some companies uh, I know that do a very good job of trying to eliminate GMOs. They pay attention to things that are, that are produced in this fashion and they won't catalog them or, or carry them or if they do, they will inform you that they do. And in general, you know, I feel kind of blessed at this point because I've discovered uh, the varieties that work really well for us on our farm and those are the seeds that I can continue uh, to make use of, provided the, uh, the the large seed company powers decide uh, to continue producing those you know having all that production in, in the hands all of the control over that production in the hands of so few people means that a lot of the good varieties that are traditional uh, also can disappear because they control those also, not just the GMOs and and the other ones. So that in combination of finding good quality open-pollinated seeds or heirloom seeds is, is not a bad idea. I'm not saying to rely on those, but it's not a bad idea. All right. Now, you had a question, sir? I was just uh, wondering if Bayer is buying all of Monsanto, or just seed production? Bayer, as far as I know, is purchasing all of Monsanto. Yes. hmm At, the question was if she goes into Kroger's and looks at a package of, of, of produce that says non GMO uh, and, and USDA organic, can we trust those? At this point in time today, yes, for the most part. Processed foods, not so much. Now, when it comes to processed foods and the USDA organic seal, the main ingredient in the processed food. Has to be organic and be non GMO, but there can be trace amounts of processing agents in there that are GMOs. Okay, any package. any packaged, packaged or processed food you've got to be careful of. Simple food, simply prepared, folks. Yes, Milton. So when it comes to Baker Creek, seed savers, seed suppliers, how do we sort out? When it comes. When the question was, when it comes to Baker Creek or Seed Savers Exchange or other suppliers, how do we sort out how reliable they are? I'm not sure how to answer that. I know that some companies have taken a very uh, strong step to to, uh, make it clear to their customers that uh, they have done a good job of screening. Uh, How well their screening processes are, I don't know. How educated they are, I don't know. Because of the potential of these new varieties flooding the market without any history, without any understanding of their development, uh, you almost need inside information to know what's what. So I'm not even sure how the seed companies are going to sort this out. Did you have a question? Yeah, you said that. Doesn't that mean that they, they, they can already be, they could already snuck it into the organic food industry? We call that rice uh, uh, non-GMO organic? Well, as I said, though, the patent follows the gene. So for the most part, at least at this point in time, and things are changing rapidly. At, at least uh, at this point in time, uh, the, uh, the organic. Uh, agencies, both Armory and the NOA, the National Organic Program, would have an awareness for whether there was a transgenic gene in any crop. So at this point, uh, we don't have to, to concern ourselves too much with that happening. I'm not going to say that, that that's going to be the same way tomorrow. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I do know that there are that's Oh, yes. That's, 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 he said you, 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 that, there, that the apple industry has been allowed to spray with antibiotics. That's been the case for, for decades. So, I mean, yes. I mean, the standard is going down. All the, no, no, that standard has been in place since before the National Organic Program. The, 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 the important point to understand here is you need to know what the National Organic Program is, and essentially what it is is a set of standards that is applied by the industry, by industry representatives to a crop. What those standards are, are flexible and have been flexible over time. And it does not ensure that that crops are not treated with chemicals. In fact, organic produce is probably more frequently sprayed than conventional produce. It's just that the organic program regulates what they can spray with. There are very toxic chemicals that are used in the production of organic food. Yes, sir. As I was saying, there's tremendous collateral damage, economic, social, political, economic, and legal damage that's been done by this industry. And that's just an example. All right. I'd like to restrict it to, to just questions if you have a question. I suggest you attend the Berea Gardens agriculture training program where we spend a whole day talking about that. There are lots of, of, of methods for, for, for preserving your seed for a long period of time that are very effective. I have some seeds that are, that, that are nine years old that are still germinating at 80%. Are you able so, to share a couple I, that's not the topic for this, so I'm not going to right now, but I'll talk to you later if you want to talk. Yes, ma'am. I I, I would agree with that. Uh, At this point in time, all canola has some level of of GMO contamination. Now, uh, bear in mind that when something has that that non-GMO seal on it, uh, and the uh, uh, the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture through the National Organic Program certifies something as organic, there are tolerances for the amount of GMO that is contaminated in there. There are tolerances for that. I'm just saying that there are tolerances. If I'm growing if I'm growing if I'm growing uh, if I'm growing organic corn and I'm marketing that through the National Organic Program as organic corn, I can have up to I think it's one and a half percent GMO corn mixed in there and still receive the organic seal. Oh, so basically the quote eat the food is close to how God has given it? Amen grow it yourself and and know what you're doing and know what you're eating that's you know last last night i read a pretty powerful statement from ministry of healing and i'll just reiterate that now is that you know uh, in god's plan for israel he uh, you know he he, he gave all the families a portion of land where they had the opportunity to till to be productive and provide for themselves and not be consumers. The whole part of that message is, why are we worrying about this? The only reason we're worrying about it is because we become such a consumer society and we're not producing anymore. So for all of you that are here, my hat's off to you. I mean, praise the Lord that you have this interest in, in agriculture and this is, you know, we're taking this beyond the recreation hobby level here. That's not where the farm or agriculture or the garden belongs in our life. It belongs in our life with prominence. It's important and it's very important for us to recognize that. All right, we're out of time. I I know we have a lot of questions here and I'm out of time but I'm just gonna end the recording at this point so that I'll, I'll stay and take some more of your questions but I think we'll end the recording now. I wanna thank you all for your interest. I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope that you have perhaps a little better understanding of some of the challenges that we're faced with. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.